Hello there, I'm Dee Reddy and welcome to Inside Intercom. Today, we're continuing with the second season of Scale, our series dedicated to the strategies and frameworks that drive business growth. As before, we've lined up a slate of brilliant leaders and thinkers from the likes of Google, Yelp and Chartmogul. These are all individuals who have successfully propelled their company to a new stage of growth despite the odds. So far, we've learned that there's no magic formula to scale, but over the past few weeks, we've heard them share the growth levers they've found and the advice that they have for others looking to expand their business in just the same way. This week, we're joined by Yvonne Chen, Vice President of Marketing at Udemy for Business, the business-to-business arm of the hugely successful online learning marketplace. Our own Senior Director of Demand Generation, Brian Cotelier, caught up with her recently for a great conversation, where we learned just how Udemy captured the attention of over 80% of the Fortune 100. They chat about her experience as part of the monetization team at Facebook and how it formed the perfect background to her work in taking Udemy from B2C to B2B. They also cover a topic that has popped up regularly in this series, which is just how important localization can be to scaling internationally. It's a fascinating discussion. So let's head over to the studio and hear from Brian and Yvonne. Hi, Yvonne. We're delighted to have you on the show today. So you're the VP of Marketing at Udemy for Business. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you found yourself in that role? Hi, Brian. Um, very, very nice to be here with you. So thanks for having me. I think you know my my background and my career started actually at AT and T. I was in telecom when I first started my career journey, and I was managing a sales call center as part of a larger leadership development program that AT and T had put on. And I think in that first job out of university, I really started to understand what culture and what creativity within a company, how much I value that. And so that was something that I didn't really get um, when I was working at AT AT&T. And so I had the opportunity to move over to Google. And so Google was kind of my first launch into uh, the technology industry and joined there. um, At the time, it was called the consumer operations team. And so this was the team that like housed Google Earth and Gmail and all of the consumer non-ad products. And that was a really, a really, really amazing introduction for me just into technology, into a very creative environment and an environment that I felt like a lot of the ideas and the projects and the improvements that happened in the business really started from people at the bottom. And, and you had the opportunity to really advocate for your ideas and make them reality. And so that was just an amazing experience for me. And while I had thought that I was going to stay at Google for quite some time because I loved my experience there so much and I learned so much, there was an opportunity for me to move over to Facebook. Facebook at the time, this is back at the end of 07, and Facebook was sort of starting to see how they were going to build a monetization engine for the social network. And 
I had a couple of friends from Google who had moved over to Facebook and they sort of tapped me on the shoulder and they said, Hey, you know, Facebook is starting its very first monetization team. And, you know, we think that you'd be a great fit. So, you know, fortunately all of that worked out. And while it was difficult for me to, to leave an amazing company like Google, I really wanted to have that experience of seeing how I could help a company understand and devise how it was going to actually monetize. And so that sort of led me over to Facebook. And when I joined the very first like ads monetization team there, it was really just you know, a couple of us at the time that was tasked with helping to support Facebook's initiatives into developing a revenue model. And in my time on that team, I always sort of found myself gravitating towards a lot of marketing, product marketing related projects. But at the time, I was pretty young in my career and I had no idea that product marketing was even a role that I could move into. And so the very first project I would say that kind of uh, cemented my interest and my path into product marketing was when we were, uh, we had built the ads product already and we were trying to figure out how we could unlock more revenue coming in to the ads engine. Because at the time, Facebook wasn't automated at all. So everything that we did on the ad side was very manual. And when I was at Google, I had a chance to work on some bulk upload tools, which basically allow you to upload massive amounts of data into the backend database. And then, you know, Google or Facebook parses through that and then adds them to the system. And so an engineer and I kind of sat down and we talked about like, hey, we have to unlock more revenue on the ad side. Right now, every single advertiser that wants to advertise on Facebook has to upload something one by one. It was a really manual process. Even if the ads were the same, just targeting a different audience, it still had to be uploaded one by one. And so if you can imagine, that's a very, very painful process for advertisers. So we essentially built a ads bulk upload tool together. And I was the marketing kind of product marketing lead on that project. And the engineer and I I kind of worked a lot on the product specs. We talked about how it would work. We we got input and feedback from the sales teams um, and essentially launched the tool to the advertiser database and then to our internal teams so that they could actually teach their clients um, how to use it. So that was just an amazing experience for me, like seeing a product being built from nothing to something and then seeing the results uh, that came out of it when you actually launched it successfully. And so I, I think like the first week or like seven days after the the tool was actually live, we had massive adoption. And so we actually saw, you know, a million dollars in revenue coming from that tool just in one day. And so that experience obviously had a tremendous impact on me, but also a tremendous impact on the business. And so that's kind of how I solidified, I think, my passion for marketing, more specifically my uh, path into product marketing. And then that was when I formally transitioned into a product marketing role um, at Facebook. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, Yvonne. That's so interesting. And it's actually particularly interesting for me because um, I remember being on the other side of that launch when, you know, all those bulk upload tools kind of came yeah. to me yeah. uh, and thinking yeah. how grateful I was. Finally, somebody's made this easier. So thank you. <laughs> uh, many years later, thank you for all that work. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. I suppose like, you know, I'd love to understand a little bit more. Maybe you could tell us about how that transition into marketing, you know, how did that help you prepare to take on the role that you currently have to become a leader uh, and a VP of marketing more holistically? Yeah. 
I think, you know, product marketing built within myself and also uh, the skill set I think that I built in product marketing really helped me as a marketing leader today. So I love product marketing because it really forces you to think about the market, the audience, the customer, and how the product actually fits a lot of those needs. And to be really, really great at product marketing, you not only have to be really strong at positioning and like really understanding what are the pain points of the target audience that we're going after, like who are the actual buyers of this product and what are they looking for? And then how do we develop the products and the features to help them solve those problems? And so that I think was a really, really valuable skill set that I learned in product marketing, understanding how to communicate not only with external audiences, but also with internal audiences. So I'm sure many of the listeners of this podcast are, are familiar with when you are in you know, a B2B SaaS um, environment and you are you know, tasked with the success of your product being carried through either resellers or partners or an internal sales team or customer success team, you really have to nail the story and the message and the positioning and the why as to why you're you're building something for the market or why this company actually exists. And then not only that, you have to actually influence those people to truly believe and have the confidence to actually sell that message. And that was really something that I honed and learned in a product marketing role. Like, how do I communicate with different audiences? How do we tell this story to different audiences, but keep the message and the positioning consistent so that, you know, no matter where you are in the market, if you're viewing an ad online, if you are talking to someone on the phone, if you're hitting the website, you are getting a consistent message about what we do and how we do it differently than other people. And so that kind of segues into the second part of product marketing that I think is extremely valuable, which is competitive you know, research and competitive intelligence. Really being able to articulate why your product or service is uniquely different from the competition that exists in the market. And so... Being able to do that is also a really, really important skill set, obviously, for marketing because you are trying to ultimately differentiate your product and sell its unique features that no other product or service that you're competing with could claim. And so that's another skill set, I think, that is really, really valuable just when you think about marketing overall, that research component, the market uh, component, the industry component, and really understanding what the competitive landscape looks like. The third piece I would say uh, with product marketing that has enabled me to be, I think, successful in my career as a marketer overall has been thinking through pricing and packaging. And so depending on, you know, not all product marketing teams own pricing and packaging. Fortunately, most of the uh, product marketing teams that I've been a part of in the past have owned that responsibility. And that's something that is really, really important too, when you're thinking about positioning and messaging of a product, like how do you actually position it in a way and price it in a way and package it in a way that is consistent to the story that you're telling? You know, what are, what are the industry benchmarks telling you 
about what is the right price to set in the market. How does that vary by different geographies, right? So like what you price for your product in the US may be very different from what that price should be or could be in a market like India. Um, And so having that global perspective and thinking through a lot of those dimensions as to how are you actually going to enable people in the market to buy your product or service as seamlessly as possible in a way that makes sense, in a way that also communicates the value of the product or service that you're actually trying to trying to sell is, is a really valuable skill set as a marketer. And so I think those things coupled together has allowed me, I think, to have not only and see the bigger picture in terms of like, why are we doing what we're doing and how are we doing it differently, but then communicating that to to teams and making sure that now, you know, as I'm overseeing a larger marketing team with a lot of different functions, how do all these teams work together and integrate so that we're all saying the same thing, telling the same message, and all the functions across, you know, paid acquisition or SEO or events marketing or customer marketing, how all those functions tell a holistic story um, and, and really sell the product in the appropriate markets. Got it. Thank you for that. Um, actually, I would love to talk a little bit about how you've uh, begun to uh, apply some of those skills that you shared in the context of Udemy for Business. But before we jump into that, maybe you could just share really briefly, like uh, you could tell anyone in our audience who doesn't know a lot about Udemy for Business uh, in a couple sentences, kind of what it is uh, and how sure. the business got started. Yeah. So Udemy for Business is the B2B SaaS subscription business of Udemy. So um, for those of you that aren't familiar with Udemy, Udemy is one of the world's largest learning marketplaces that exists. So we started and were founded in 2010. We are a marketplace that attracts experts from around the world to teach what they know best to people, to learners all around the world. And so today, Udemy has over um, 150,000 courses on you know, any topic potentially that you would want to learn, whether that's web development or mobile development or analytics or decision science, all the way over to the other side um, that includes you know, like bread baking and gardening, really any, any skill. So it's a pretty tremendous marketplace that we have built. And then today we are touching the lives of about 50 million learners. And I would say around 50% of our learners are outside of the US. So it it is a really global marketplace that allows us to help people upskill in their current roles. And so Udemy for Business, what we do is, you know, the market opportunity for Udemy for Business is really, really big. And it's driven by these macro trends, things like record low unemployment, rapid change and required skills, a workforce that's been raised online. And so Udemy is, is really in a unique position to capture this market. And there's this opportunity essentially to build the B2B SaaS model from scratch and become the in-house university for today's top companies. So what we're doing now is we're essentially growing our team around the world. We have thousands of customers. You know, today, Udemy for Business uh, specifically sells a subset of the top professional and technical and personal development skills and courses that are part of Udemy. And then we sell that into companies so that they can actually upskill and prepare their workforce for the future. Got it. I feel like that, <clears throat> excuse me, I feel that product marketer coming out as I hear you talk about the, <laughs> the in-house university for top businesses. That's a really beautiful yeah. turn of phrase. So I guess, you know, 
uh, digging a bit into sort of how you've approached marketing at Udemy, maybe you could tell us a little bit about some of the ways things had to change or some of the programs you had to drive as you joined the company and and, and it had to bring this, this, this university to life? Yeah. So one of the most interesting things that I noticed when I came into the company, and so when I started at Udemy, there were 10 people on the B2B SaaS business. So there was my my boss, who's the president of the business. There are a couple of salespeople, maybe one customer success person, one other marketer on the team, and one or two like PMs and engineers working on it. And the very first thing that I did was I started sitting in on sales calls. Who are the customers that we have today? I looked at that data. And then what? how is the sales team actually talking to customers today? And it was really interesting for me to observe and also hear directly from these go-to-market teams that they were shying away essentially from Udemy's main core differentiator and unique selling proposition of Udemy, which is the marketplace. And they, you know, they were saying things like, oh, the marketplace, you know, when I talk about it with prospects, it just gets me in trouble because they don't understand it and I can't explain it well. And one of our top competitors that we uh, were competing against at the time and still compete against at the time, although we're doing so more effectively today, was coming back at a lot of these salespeople and, and basically, you know, talking about how, oh, Udemy doesn't check for content quality at all because it's a marketplace. So anyone in the world can create any course and they don't care about, you know, what that, what that course teaches or how it teaches it. And yes, it's true that Udemy is a marketplace and we have, you know, instructors creating content from around the world. Um, and we don't necessarily review every single second of content because that's, uh, the nature of a marketplace. But what we do have is we have quality signals and we have a quality process in place, not only on the consumer business that sort of checks for, you know, legality of content and basic quality metrics like, yeah, you know, video quality and audio quality. But on the business side, we also had created a curation process. So as I mentioned earlier, Udemy.com has about 150,000 courses. We actually curate those courses further down into the top courses and we check further for quality um, and effectiveness. And so our course collection is essentially about 3,500 to 4,000 of the top courses on Udemy. And so they just were not really understanding how to tell that story effectively. And they were shying away again from our biggest strength as a business, which is the marketplace. The reason I say that is because what I had talked about earlier too, which is, you know, this rapid change in skills requirement. I think Deloitte actually frames it in a really great way. They say that the current half-life of skills has decreased to only about five years. So what that essentially means is that if you are in a career lifespan of about 50 years, you're going to have to reinvent yourself about 10 times. And what that does in today's world is that, you know, you have to learn something new every every day. There's a new technology. There's a new way of doing something. There's some new analytics tool. There's a new programming language that allows you to do something more efficiently. And so what the marketplace allows us to do is because we source expert content from everywhere around the world, we actually get course content, really, really amazing course content taught by really gifted experts around the world. The moment that that 
particular technology or whatever it may be hits the market. So the phrase that we use a lot is, is, you know, skills at the speed of the market. And so one example of that is, you know, when Apple launches the new iOS version every single year, Udemy usually has a course on how to use that new iOS version, maybe a couple of months in advance, or it comes out like the day that 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 new iOS version is, is announced. And that's the case for a lot of the new technology that comes out. And so that speed is something that only Udemy can deliver because we don't have a traditional content publisher model that we follow. And that speed to market is our huge competitive advantage. And that's something that is really, really hard for our competitors to duplicate. And so again, when I when I came in, going back to the story, like the sales team was was completely not telling that story at all. And they were getting really, really hung up about how to position the the product in market. And so that was really the first big change that we needed to do is we needed to one, really distill down what does our content curation process look like? And we have a content team at Udemy, an amazing content team that helps does that. And so working with them to do that. And then the second piece is how do we crystallize this message and crisp it up? so that the teams actually know how to sell this product and they have the resources to be able to do that. And so those were probably the two biggest things that I did when I first came in. And that shift in mentality and the shift in the level of confidence of the teams really, really enabled us to go to market in a, in a much stronger way. I guess, you know, diving in a little bit into, you know, you shared some of that, and I must admit my mind was racing about my, my skills out of dates. Has it, have I taken a course <laughs> in the last month or so? I may need to ask you for a Udemy link out at the end of this. But with that said, I guess, you know, as you think about touching so many people all around the world and, and just the, the vast scope of people who need to be learning and, and, and building skills, you, you touched upon how uh, it's really a global phenomenon. And I guess I'd love to learn a little bit about how you've you've been approaching internationalization. You know, we hear a lot of, from a lot of peers in the market about how one of the big kind of step changes in their growth is when they tackle leaving whatever their home market is, whether it's Europe or the United States. And I guess I'd be really, really curious how you've approached that. So I would say the core of our international strategy really leans on, again, the, the marketplace model. So because Udemy doesn't essentially control, we don't really control any of the content on Udemy in terms of dictating or asking for specific courses on specific topics to be created. The market does that for us. And so what's interesting is that from an international standpoint, we have, you know, ton of data that we're looking at that we're sifting through, you know, we're tracking what are these 50 million learners around the world learning? How do, how do those topics and skills relate to one another? In what regions of the world are those topics and skills like popular? And those trends essentially help us understand what's happening globally. So we might see Python pop in India, but Python, while Python may be popping in India, it might be uh, there's this new technology called TensorFlow. TensorFlow pops in Germany. And so that data allows us to really understand like, oh, what's happening in these markets and why are these markets actually learning these specific skills and topics? And then how do we tailor the experience on Udemy to 
meet the needs of those audiences. So that that's one way that we're looking at our international strategy and international growth. Because we also have this vast marketplace, we're actually in a really, really great position to offer local content to local audiences. And so what I mean by that is not because so many of our learners are international and because so many of our instructors are international, they are native speakers in their languages. So, you know, a German instructor is going to teach a technology course or a soft skills course on presentation skills in their native language in German. And that is something that a lot of other companies have struggled to do. A lot of companies have to rely on, you know, dubbing and captions to provide a better learning experience locally. We are actually able to acquire really, really great content taught natively in that language on top of us also creating captions in different languages. So that's that's kind of the strategy that we have on the international front. If and I then, ask, sorry to interrupt, um, but why those yeah. two? What what drew you to that those, those particular languages? Uh, though, I think those were those were mostly examples in my in my response. But in terms of what languages do we actually go after? It's mostly dictated by not only demand. So what are the learners demanding on the marketplace? You know, do we have, have we seen a huge growth in users that have signed up coming from Germany, for example? And then that translates, or we look at that on the business side too. So did we have, you know, large numbers of businesses in Germany or in Spain signing up to learn more about Udemy for Business or visiting our website multiple times over the last, you know, couple of months? And if that's the case, then we need to talk to our go-to-market teams, our sales and customer success teams to understand like, hey, what are you running into in the market? So we have a really, really big and growing office in Dublin, in Ireland. And you know that team is directly at the front lines of talking to customers across the EMEA region. And they're the ones who are also telling us like, hey, I'm getting a lot of traction in Germany. I'm getting a ton of traction in the in the UK. And so that sort of also is an additional signal to us on top of the data that we see in terms of, okay, these are the markets that we, we, we should actually prioritize. More specifically on the B2B side, we're also looking at where has the business come from or where are we seeing revenue and pipeline popping? And so those tend to happen in specific regions across the European, Middle East, and Africa markets. And so that's also how we're determining what languages we're going to start packaging up. And so to that end, on the international front, specifically for B2B, we have content collections, essentially, we call them like international content collections that we sell into international companies that have a German workforce, that have a Spanish workforce. And those workforces want or are interested in local content taught natively that's culturally relevant. Um, and so that's also why we put together, you know, specific uh, language packs in those in those top markets. You know, something that, that kind of comes to my mind is it seems like you rely a lot on kind of feedback loops from the marketplace, whether it was your example about sales, your example uh, about languages, things like that. I'm really curious. I think a lot of a lot of people struggle with that. Could you maybe tell us a little bit of how, like how do you like structure and systematize if you've been able to those feedback loops? Like how does that work in, in your team and in your business? 
Yeah. I would say we, we are getting better and better at it every single, you know, month, year that goes by. One of the things that we do, so we actually have tools internally that we've developed and dashboards that we've developed internally where we can actually look at trends month over month, quarter over quarter. And so those are regular metrics that we are looking at all the time. And the, the most amazing part about our business is, you know, we are direct to consumer. We're also B2B. And a lot of the pops and the trends that happen across consumers around the world are a lot of times indicative of the pops and the trends that we're going to see on the B2B side. So that level of just synergy across the businesses is tremendous for us. And we have teams, you know, every single team is kind of responsible for looking at the data, the same data, but from a different perspective. So I mentioned we have a really, really awesome content team. The content team is looking at specifically topic taxonomy. They're looking at topic and skill trends by market. They're looking at, you know, how many instructors are we bringing on and how many courses are we creating in specific topics and markets? And is that meeting the needs of the demand that we see on the marketplace? And so the demand part of the marketplace, we track that again through dashboards and data. Like we do a lot of SQL querying to look at, you know, what what are the terms and things that people are actually searching for when they're on U2B.com. And so that's kind of the the system that we've developed on the content side to really understand what's actually happening and then what are the new topics and skills that we need to be prepared for. And a lot of times, I know I said that Udemy doesn't create any of the content, but we do have really valuable relationships with a lot of our instructors, especially our top instructors around the world. And so if we see a particular topic or skill popping in terms of demand, and we don't see that supply happening on the marketplace, we will actually reach out to our top instructors in those skill areas and we'll tell them and we'll say like, hey, guess what? We think that you'd be great at teaching, you know, this skill. This skill is, you know, grew in popularity by, you know, 80% in like the last couple of months. We, you know, is this something that you can do? Is this, is this a course that you'd be willing to create? And we'll often work with our instructors to, to kind of guide them and give them that direction. We also have a tool that we built. It's called a Marketplace Insights Tool. And it's a tool that we actually give to our instructors. So our instructors can actually use this tool. They log in, they type in a term like Python or, you know, data science, decision science, maybe it's iOS 14, whatever it might be. And it will actually tell them, this is the growth in this topic, you know, in the last couple of weeks or whatever time period you might be looking at the data for. This is how many searches occurred. This is how many courses exist in this topic area. And then we'll actually give them recommendations and we'll say like, hey, we actually, the marketplace is actually short on content here. We recommend that you create a course and this is the price that you could potentially charge for that course. And this is how much potential revenue you might make from it if you were to add it into the marketplace. So there's, there's those kinds of systems that we've built to really enable the marketplace to continue to thrive and supply the right content to learners around the world. That's fascinating. It kind of puts me in mind probably of something from your Google days where, you know, all those search insights tools and things that people yeah. uh, that, that were developed to facilitate uh, the adoption of, of, of Google ads. That's uh, super interesting. Uh, I guess I'd love to ask, you know, uh, changing gears a little, but I think it's related is, you know, 
you're only one woman, right? You, you know, you can only do so much. <laughs> and so, you know, have you thought about structuring your team to, to facilitate all this growth and, and to kind of, you know, take Unimeter you know, business to, to the next level uh, and, and to, you know, set you guys up for, for many, many years of, of continued growth? So my team uh, today is, is amazing to work with. And, you know, leaders always say, you know, hiring, hiring great talent is the number one thing that you can do as a leader. And so that's definitely something that I've learned a lot in the last many years of my career. And it's something that I continue to try to get better and better at, like how, how you interview uh, people, how do you really understand like why you're hiring for a specific role and, and when you hire for it, I think is really important. What is the right skill level or seniority of that person that you need to hire coming in? And how does that align to the future growth of the business? And so, you know, as leaders, I feel like we try to do our best in anticipating future needs of the business and balancing that with current needs of the business. And my goal, obviously, is to always hire people that meet that can meet both, that can help us get to where we need to go in the next six months or a year, but also have the growth and the potential to, you know, continue to grow and evolve on the team for the next, you know, two to four, obviously the longer, the better, but, um, you know, as, as you know, in Silicon Valley, like a lot of, a lot of people don't stay in the same role for, for more than two years. And so that's always something that I'm thinking about. And so the team today is structured, I think, very similarly to a lot of other B2B like SaaS marketing teams on the market. I think what we've done is basically, you know, we've got a demand generation and growth team that, you know, houses our, you know, paid acquisition, search engine optimization, website development landing page strategy, integrated campaign coordination. And so that team is really, really core to us driving our top of funnel business, right? How many leads are coming in? Are those leads qualified? Are those leads being handed off to the sales team effectively? Um, How are we partnering with that SDR team, the sales development representatives to really ensure that those leads are actually converting into real business opportunities over time. How are we measuring that not only in the U.S. and North America, but across all of the the top regions that we have set out as targets for us to grow in for the year? That team is, is obviously extremely critical in any organization, whether it's consumer or business, to really generate that demand to really start that sales cycle. And so that team is a team that we've invested heavily in. And we will continue to invest heavily in as we continue to to see growth in the business, which we have seen tremendous growth in the years that I've been at Udemy, which is about four years now. And so that's a critical team. I think the other team that we have at Udemy for business on my side is product marketing. And so product marketing obviously is my background and my introduction really into marketing but it is extremely critical in a B2B SaaS organization to have a really, really strong product marketing team that can understand all those market insights, continue to develop our narrative and our messaging and positioning as the product continues to evolve, as the market changes, and then really partner with our customer success and our sales team successfully so that we're enabling them in the right way. And so that team has been critical to product feature launch development partnership with the product team, 
and then partnership with our, with our go-to-market teams. We have a separate events marketing team at Udemy and events, I think, depends on the market that you're in and the audience uh, or the buyers that you're selling to. Events for Udemy for Business is extremely important. And that's because our buyers typically are uh, very relationship focused. The primary target buyer for our product is a HR leader, a learning leader, a talent development leader at a company. And so those are the people that are really in touch with people and humanity. And they're very, very focused on how do I build relationships across my employee base? And how do I ensure that my employee base is not only being productive and producing results for the company, but I'm also providing a really awesome and amazing culture for these people. Oh, that's really interesting. Uh, Well, Yvonne, thank you so much for taking the time to share all your insights and share your journey with us. It's like both super educational and also very inspiring. And and I know I learned a lot. I'm sure our audience does as well. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. You're very welcome. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more interviews, go to intercom.com slash blog or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. This is Inside Intercom.